here's the fundamental of human nature. We're all delusional. We all make up subjective stories in our heads and fight not just to convince others that they're true, but fight to eliminate others' uh, ability to present competing memes. Hello everyone, you're listening to the Feedback Loop on Singularity Radio, where we keep you up to date on the latest technological trends and how they're impacting the transformation of consciousness and culture from the individual to society at large. This week our guest is David Brin, renowned science fiction author of dozens of short stories and novels, including The Postman, which was adapted to film and starred Kevin Costner, as well as the Uplift series which centers around the theme of genetically engineering pre-sapient species such as chimpanzees and dolphins to a human level of intelligence. While science fiction is what David is known for, he shows us that the real power of storytelling is that it makes us all students of history and allows us to use the wisdom therein to navigate the future. To this end, a great deal of this conversation centers around understanding human culture throughout time. Amongst other ideas, David specifically emphasizes in this conversation that for the sake of progress and inclusion, we must shift from a zero-sum mentality to a positive-sum mentality, and in the process, embrace criticism. David truly represents the iconic storyteller that exists in my mind, injecting playful charisma and enthusiasm into sharing his decades of deep personal study. So even though I typically prefer a bit more back and forth in these conversations, I was happy to let David wax philosophical and share his many great ideas without too many interruptions. And speaking of interruptions, as always, I must take a quick moment to remind you to take a look at our global community where you can network with over 30,000 CEOs, creatives, technologists, and entrepreneurs of all kinds coming together to learn how to create businesses and technologies that can shape a better future. Simply go to su.org to find out more. And with that out of the way, let's go ahead and jump into it. Everyone, please welcome to the feedback loop, David Brin. You have a PhD, but you got your PhD at the same time you were writing Sundiver, correct? Yes, yes. How um, how the hell do you manage to do a PhD and write a novel at the same time? Um, in bits and pieces, I guess. <laughs> uh, uh, well, I mean, they, they, the, bo- both topics were um, out there, not on the planet. So it felt as if, you know, a, a sun and a comet, what's the difference? Uh, my my doctoral dissertation was on the um, what's still the current theory of how comets uh, are formed, uh, in, what their structure is, um, dirty ice balls with um, dust layers on the surface. Um, and meanwhile, I I when I had been an undergraduate at Caltech, I had worked for solar astronomers. So I decided to set a murder mystery um, on or near the sun. But that sort of um, evaded 
your question, which was, uh, how did I mix um, writing fiction with what was supposed to be my main line, which is science? And the answer was obvious to me since my time at Caltech, I learned that uh, all decent or scientists of substance seem to have um, artistic sidelines, things they did on the side um, that uh, livened up that part of their lives. The diametric opposite of the narrow-minded nerd that um, we are propagandized uh, to believe. And this propaganda has become politically very, very powerful because there are elements in our society who deem it very important to discredit the knowledge professions, the fact-using professions in our society. <clears throat> and by pushing the notion of being um, the scientists, the doctors, school teachers, uh, law professionals, civil servants, that they are narrow-minded nerds, lemmings all following each other off the same paradigm cliff. This is vital to the, um, to the uh, propaganda system that's trying to discredit the people who know stuff. Uh, I'm, I am wandering a little bit around what is actually the main point, and that is, and I say this again and again at, um, at commencement speeches, is that um, is the fundamental lesson of our enlightenment experiment. And that is the positive sum game. To be good at one thing, you don't have to be crappy at everything else. Uh, it's the same it, the positive sum is the fundamental lesson of our society. Uh, nature's way is competition. It is the most creative force in the universe, but that doesn't make me a right winger to say that competition is the greatest force in the universe because uh, throughout human history, those who win competition have tended to do what animals do when they win, and that's cheat. They use their power to prevent anybody else from competing fairly. Uh, so fair and regulated competition is how we in this enlightenment experiment became fantastically creative and, uh, and productive. And when we have that, we get a positive sum game in our economy and our politics. And a positive sum game, it's the great concept, it's the concept underlying our, under, our enlightenment experience, and that is that in order for me to win, I have to do something that causes us all to win at least a bit, and then I'll win more than you. So it contains the ferocious, I'm going to win spirit that is essentially human but harnesses it to making all boats float up. Mm -hmm. uh, and cheaters don't want that. They want the old way of 6,000 years of human history. And that is uh, my boat, boat is going to float higher by sinking yours. 
How do you feel about the current way ways in which the people at the top are using their their power um, and the technology that they have to cheat the system to change the playing field? Um, are there certain ways that that has manifested that you're concerned with, maybe specifically surveillance or maybe beyond that? Well, it's 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 despicable morally, but they can shrug that off because every because I mean so much of the defense of the Enlightenment nowadays is based upon moral principles. You know, everybody should be equal. Everybody should have opportunity. Uh, it's it, immoral to be prejudiced, and. It, there's a weakness to that. And that is someone else can say, I was raised under a tribe that uh, that doesn't share those values. You're being prejudiced. You're forcing your, your values on me. Uh, and I have seen liberals and leftists uh, thrown into a stammering um, a silence by the fact that cultural relativism outranks the morality of the West. Um, you're trying to impose your morality on us. No, the, the, the real argument in favor of the Western Enlightenment approach is simply that it is vastly more effective. It is vastly more effective at delivering the one thing that makes the biggest difference, and that is reciprocal accountability. Now, let me explain that. Um, Throughout human history, almost all cultures were shaped like a pyramid with a few at the top monopolizing power um, and stealing other men's women and wheat. And that's the way to express it because that's the way it was. Um, their top priority was to cheat in any competitive system so that they would win, gain all the property, and so that their sons uh, would inherit without having done anything themselves much, would inherit ownership over other men's sons and daughters. This is the fundamental fact of 99% of human history is this pyramidal social structure. And it is the thing that is assiduously ignored by our current politicians, our current philosophers, is the context of human history. And the thing about these pyramidal social structures is, and I mean, there may have been a king at the top, there may have been an emperor. Uh, generally, there are a whole lot of lords with their own smaller pyramids, uh, horribly oppressing the nearby town and the nearby villages, um, and priests who said, this is a good thing. This is a good thing. God wants it this way. Um, and this was based upon cheating because the last thing these folks wanted was fair competition from below. So they ensured that their sons got the best foods so their sons would wind up being tall and being strong. So it looked as if they were closer to being gods. So it was self-reinforcing. And 99% of our ancestors lived under this crap. And we're all descended from the harems of guys who pulled this off, which helps to explain male fantasies, by the way. So, all right, so it, the, this wouldn't have been so horrible if the propaganda, we are the wise ones, 
the priests and the nobles and all that, if it were true. But here's the fundamental of human nature. We're all delusional. We all make up subjective stories in our heads and fight to not just to convince others that they're true, but fight to eliminate others' uh, ability to present competing memes. We see this in religion. We see this in the very memes that your listeners most cherish now, including the liberal ones, because that's what we do as humans. Now, there is only one antidote to delusion. Well, there are several. I mean, in science, we are taught to chant the sacred cat priestly catechism of science. Do you know what that one is, Steve? <laughs> I don't. Yeah. I could guess, but I'd love to hear it from you. All right. Well, we are taught to chant, I might be wrong. So that's a or, hard one to learn. Oh, it's very hard. It's it's a try it. It's hard to say. Or I might be wrong. Ain't it cool? Let's find out. Now, we live in a Periclean enlightenment. So the people listening to me just saying that, if they hadn't been bored and wandered away with all my garrulous chatter here. Um, they say, well, well, yeah, yeah, sure. Okay. That's, that's, that's wisdom. Um, and those who recite that sacred catechism of science are able to penetrate and, uh, inspect and even find and change their minds about maybe half of their delusions. Now that's fantastic. That truly is fantastic. And all the priests and lords and kings of all those pyramidal cultures, they never did that. But I might be wrong, only helps, and the tools that go along with it, statistical analysis, error bars, all that sort of thing that you would learn in science. It's only 50% effective and you're, you're still going to be a delusional jerk. The only way to penetrate human delusions that works is called criticism because you don't share the same delusion I have. And this is what's so dangerous about the echo chambers created by the internet. And in my novel Earth, which came out in 1990, there was talk about how the internet was going to create echo chambers, little Nuremberg rallies, Sig Heil, everybody uh, trying to reinforce each other's delusions, avoiding the pain of criticism because we hate criticism. Criticism is the only known antidote to error, cetokate. And yet it is something that we instinctively try to repress. We talk over people, we um, prevent ourselves from hearing criticism. And yet anybody can tell you that if you want to become good at something, you have to actually nurture criticism. I, this is what I tell my writing students. Do you think that's one reason why storytelling is perhaps so powerful specifically for you and for society is because in a way it 
that creating an illusory wor- world actually helps us sort through our delusions? Well, I think so. I mean, uh, I, I didn't mean to say that the human propensity for delusion and subjective realities is all all evil. I I earn my living by creating neatly packaged magical incantations, and that's what I am as a wizard because magic never worked physically, but it has a long history of working subjectively. You create fresh delusions in other people's heads. Um, uh, Horrible uh, political um, delusions as are ripping America apart now and have ripped America apart every phase of our ongoing civil war since 1778. What we call the civil war was just phase four, an especially violent one. We're in phase eight right now. But the um, uh, if you package delusions as a product and say with a label, this is a delusion, come and buy my novel or watch my movie and enjoy being deluded into thinking that this all this is real, the characters are alive in your head, you know, the, the romance and adventure and the danger all feels palpable and real to you. So you're turning the pages so fast that they catch fire. Uh, by the way, that's an advertisement. Uh, that's that's what'll happen if you read my stuff. Um, that's truth in advertising. You're selling an honest product, a delusion that's prepackaged, that is magical, because magic never worked to make the rain fall. But magic has a great history of creating temporary subjective realities in other people's heads. Mm -hmm. And that's what's being used against us now. Yeah, it feels as if we're in a situation where because of the power of technology to broadcast a narrative, you know, in the same way the Gutenberg revolution opened up books to the masses, the internet started opening up these common narratives to the masses. And now, unfortunately, instead of having art and criticism act as ways to counter the common narrative in society. They're folding themselves into these echo chambers, as you said, and sending us uh, against each other. It's very important that we recognize the degree to which um, uh, the glass is half full. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mentioned the positive sum game, and then there is no concept that people can come away from this interview with that's more important if you don't know in your soul what a positive sum game versus zero sum game is and and Stephen will get provide a link to uh robert wright's book called non-zero uh, then you are not equipped to be a paladin or a champion for this um this experimental civilization so um go forth and and, and understand what's exceptional about a society that has taught a majority of Americans, for example, positive sum thinking. And a majority knows that they are delusional and is willing to try these methods. The problem is that the cheaters, the oligarchs, the ones who want to restore the pyramidal social structure, um, they have riled up 
several minorities in our civilization so intensely. And this goes back to 1778 at least. Um, it's an ongoing problem in, in America. And we, we tend to think that we've gone crazy, but in fact, a slim majority of Americans are probably among the most modernist and sane people on this planet. Uh, at least as sane and reasonable as Canadians. The problem is that we have the inability to look at history because it lessens the sanctimonious rush. And the history says, we have plenty of problems to solve, but we are solving them by standing on the shoulders of heroes who solved the previous phases, who stood on the shoulders of those who solved the previous phases. And uh, when we ignore the fact that so much progress has been made, we are insulting Gandhi and Martin Luther King. And that is criminal. That is criminal because they're bigger heroes than you guys are. <laughs> they have worse obstacles to overcome. So stand on their shoulders, take us to the next level. Great, I'm aboard. But sanctimony that poisons your ability to see, have perspective, that is not helpful. It's just not helpful to the cause. But you raised an extremely important point. There's always a slide in, in most of my presentations, even when I'm at CIA, that goes back to the historical perspective of technologies and how they affect this revolution that we're in. Our civilization is tearing itself apart because we are awash in criticism, because we are a different kind of society. Instead of the pyramid of power, we're a diamond. And the name for this is a Periclean enlightenment. The first great experiment was Periclean Athens around 500 BCE. And it terrified all the neighboring empires because the citizens of Athens, and mind you, this was an expansion from rule by the top 1% uh, to the top 20%, just like the American Revolution expanded uh, similarly. White male landowners, but even that initial expansion unleashed so much creativity that uh, they were, they were they, it was like an invasion by aliens. And all the oligarchs instinctively crowded in and tried to crush them. And it still took them close to a century to do it. They did the same thing with to Da Vinci's Florence. They tried to do the same thing to the first one that's ever survived, which was Amsterdam. And, um, and the percolating gradual emergence of Periclean enlightenment via the Magna Carta and then the English Revolution and then the American Revolution and then the uh, Jacksonian Revolution, the American Civil War for emancipation. Um, all of this shows that it's hard. It's hard to do this successfully and it's grinding to continue this American project of expanding the circle of inclusion. Mm. It's harder than a lot of liberals think because it was hard. 
it was clearly terribly difficult. And what they're doing now, expanding the horizons of inclusion, is terribly necessary mm -hmm. for one reason above all, and that is we need to stop wasting human talent. We can't afford prejudice that prevents talent from being applied to our problems. So I'm on the side. I'm just saying history is important because you get perspective. How do we reconcile this abundance of criticism that you spoke upon there that's happening in this diamond shape with the fact that we also have um, a total lack of criticism happening within the echo chambers? The thing about science fiction is that it's extrapolating the great story, the story, the one story that should rivet us all. And that's humanity's climb out of mud and ignorance and filth and testosterone um, towards something that might, we're catching some glimmers of light. And that is the great story that transfixes most science fiction authors. 10% uh, of us are scientifically trained. Another 10% can do the science as, as storytelling. But all of us read history. All of us, are, almost all science fiction authors are deeply imbued in this incredible story. Uh, and so we write stories that project a little ahead. Uh, now, let's bring this back around to Steve's question, which is about uh, the technologies. And he raised Gutenberg. When Gutenberg arrived, suddenly large numbers of people could store information outside their own heads. So you had information storage outside your heads. And what a lot of people realized when they looked at these books was, I'm blind. But suddenly... Out of Venice came clear lenses. So because they realized they were blind, because they were trying to read books, we got glass lenses which unleashed microscopes and telescopes and science. Hmm. Uh, and so you had an alteration of what we could know, what we could see, and what we could pay attention to. And always when this happens, and you, you look at history, it happened again a generation after that, again a generation after that, again a generation after that. Revolutions, technological revolutions in what we could see, what we could know, and what we could pay attention to, notice what we could even notice. Optimus said, this is going to make humans better. They're going to see more, they're going to know more. And because they're going to know more, their empathy will be spread wider and we will move toward people encompassing and embracing wider notions, definitions of human and, 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 and all of that. And pessimists said, normal people are not prepared to drink from this fire hose. It's going to drive people crazy. It's going to exacerbate all of our ills. We need to control this Tsunami of information. And always the pessimists proved right in the short term. Mm. The first major products of these printing presses that really got out there 
forget the Bibles, Gutenberg Bibles and things like that. The, 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 the first major tsunami of printed matter to emerge from these printing presses were horrible um, slander tracts uh, against other religions, exacerbating the re religious wars of Europe, making them vastly worse. But over time, books did spread. People started spreading their knowledge of, hey, you know, the, those people on the other side of the river, they're really basically us. They have a strange accent, but they speak the same language. We really should unite with them against those people on the other side of the mountain. So the expansion of inclusion always has, as science fiction presents, an element of, oh, gee, let's include more <laughs> against the ones that are even farther. Mm -hmm. Science fiction is the R&D program for this great project of expansion of horizons. Horizons of Inclusion, which is the big project among American youths. Um, it, it's, it's admirable. What's not admirable is ignoring those on whose shoulders you're standing. But Horizons of Exogamy, uh, Horizons of Trade, Horizons of Fear. So you have this great project of expansion of horizons. And it is today being augmented by the internet. But the pessimists are saying, who could drink from this fire hose? And sure enough, the history will show that the first powerful effects of, of this new technology to know more, to see more, to pay attention, were lobotomizing um, because we are diving into these uh, Nuremberg rallies of sameness rather than seeking the wider perspective. Um, and the question is, can we go through this arc quicker than happened during the 30 years war with Gutenberg or happened in one of these episodes that darn near killed us. And that's the 1930s. So you see this as a sort of uh, growing pains that is it, inevitable. It's a test. Yes. And it's growing pains in the 1930s radios and loudspeakers uh, vastly amplified the human voice to godlike propensities and gifted Savonarola's, gifted um, orators, uh, used them to uh, grab by the nards entire populations and, uh, and uh, lead them into uh, incredibly destructive manias of, of sameness and, uh, and hatred beyond the, beyond the whatever was included, everything outside had to die. As we come up against that, how do you think that that's going to be impacted by potentially our own version of being uplifted? You know, having done all of the exploration of uh, moving animals to a higher level of consciousness and intelligence through your work, and that's something that we're playing with now with 
more external memory with potentially the things like Neuralink that Elon Musk is working on. Do you think we're going to see another form of that cognitive revolution take place here that's going to help us navigate? Or are you concerned about where it's going to take us? You ask all the right questions, Steve. And I, <laughs> I, have, been, I have been blabbing uh, too much. I should, I should give you more windows to ask these questions. No, I, just, I just gave a... Um, I just gave it, uh, uh, my second talk in six months to the Australian War College um, uh, based upon a, a mini course I gave at the um, US Naval Postgraduate School. And the topic they were most interested in was human augmentation because there's a lot of work going on about uh, what, how could we do this right by making our soldiers and our citizens more capable without unleashing a sci-fi horror story. And the sci-fi horror stories are absolutely necessary. And these guys, these Australian officers and the US officers, they were all raised watching these movies, by the way. So they are concerned about the same things you and I are. <clears throat> Hollywood um, science fiction does what literary science fiction does, not as well, but more vividly, uh, and that is to try to achieve the self-preventing prophecy. Uh, it's arguable that we're all alive today because uh, movies that warned about accidental um, nuclear war, like War Games, um, Dr. Strangelove, Failsafe, On the Beach, uh, were taken seriously by, offer, off, uh, by officers who publicly poo-pooed them um, and uh, made reforms in each case to try to deal with that form of potential accidental nuclear war. Um, we may be alive today because of science fiction. Uh, the China Syndrome, uh, uh, all the ecological novels like, and the movies like Soylent Green that re recruited tens of millions of environmentalists and the granddaddy of self-preventing prophecies, um, George Orwell's 1984, which girded tens of millions to have the metaphors to yell at their opponents. You're trying to be big brother. We used to be able to say, hey, I understand your fear of my people being big brother, you go ahead and look at them. I'll glance that way when you find something. Meanwhile, I'm going to be yelling, denouncing yours, your elites. Uh, that is a positive sum way of doing it. And we've been talked into doing this negative sum or zero sum. And that I believe sums up what's how we're being herded into destruction of this Periclean enlightenment experiment. Do you think but, as the, the, we kind of move from maybe a more hostile, dangerous past and we move to maybe a safer technological future, we are kind of uplifting ourselves to be able to get away from that amygdala focused zero sum mentality and move to that? Uh, well, yeah, that is, you're very good. You're drawing me back to your original question. We, um, we have tools laid out in front of us that can let us gain better self-control. Uh, and 
we have among these are the um, tools of science fiction. I mentioned the self-preventing prophecy warning. Um, that's number one on the list of things science fiction can do for us. Uh, another is, you know, what you get from so much YA, and that is, you know, we have to form teams and fight injustice uh, and self-righteous sanctimony is the great emotional uh, propulsion. Me and my bow and arrow and a few colleagues are going to bring down El Presidente. That's not how you actually make progress, but it's, it, it emboldens. But the, the science fictional lesson that's harder to deliver, that you get less often, that I am delivering now through two different YA series, that I'm recruiting authors for. Diverse, diverse authors, welcome. Um, and you can find them on my website, is um, the notion that utop a better tomorrow is actually possible. You can have adventure without assuming the worst. That's even what in my post-apocalyptic uh, novel, The Postman, which Kevin Costner filmed, uh, a whole nother topic. Um, the notion is not the Mad Max notion that a couple of brave heroes are going to bring down the nasty while the sheep look up in awe at how the, um, the, the good new Lord re replaced the bad one. But rather, <clears throat> as happens in the novel, and Coster conveyed this, is... The only way an enlightenment civilization can possibly be saved if, is if citizens do it. If the survivors or the people under stress are reminded, as happens in the book and the movie, that they were once magically powerful beings called citizens. Mm -hmm. So um, in any event, getting back to human augmentation, I have a slide that goes through... 10 different ways in which humans um, may be augmented. And the first is remedial augmentation. You simply provide every child on the planet with enough continuously supplied good nutrition and, um, and education. And it's proved that you can raise IQs by as much as 20 points and you'll stop wasting talent. Uh, and, and a lot of solutions will pour forth from that as solutions are pouring forth right now uh, for a lot of our problems, including energy. But there are other things that are on this list of potential ways that humans might be augmented. And down at the bottom of the list, I mention uh, non-humans non as we describe them, and that is artificial intelligence and uplifting animals, altering animals. Um, and it, you know, it's, it's, it's a question, do the ends justify the means is the, is the end of having a richer, more diverse, varied and, and wiser civilization worth the means, which is genetically altering, um, other creatures so that, um, they have, uh, more powerful problem-solving abilities and communication abilities. 
because inevitably that will, no matter how well-intentioned and carefully it is done, that will entail some pain. But nothing like the pain we went through getting these abilities. Not even remotely, not, 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 not on the, the, the hangnails comparison to the pain we went through to become the first to crash through this glass ceiling. The main point is that it's arguable and the impulse to point at something and say, that's evil, and then give a one sentence crude uh, denunciation. Well, that's a reflex that we're used to right now, aren't we? We're used to that. Yeah, and I'll take whatever, and I'll take whatever genetic engineering or <clears throat> uplift I think I can get at this point. If that means we back away from that mentality. Well, the problem, the problem, uh, Steve, is that a lot of the warnings by science fiction about that <laughs> have some validity. The 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 value that science fiction serves is not to freeze us or to create nostalgia for ancient wisdom that absolutely did not exist. Um, the wisdom we get from science fiction is, here's a Gedanken experiment, here's a thought experiment, here's a thought experiment. If we are aware of these failure modes, maybe we can get through the minefield. Science fiction is the stick that we poke in front of us as we charge through a minefield toward what is possibly a much better future. Because we're not gonna get a better future by diving into the past. That's been tried again and 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 again, and it doesn't work. The future works because it has enabled us to expand horizons of inclusion. That's demonstrable, that's true. David, I, I wish we could keep going, but we're coming up to our time here. Um, and I'd love to just give a chance to to wrap up any thoughts or share anything, anything at all that you'd like to have our audience check out, maybe your YA books that you're working, uh, recruiting for or anything else. My advice is to try to see yourself in the context of all those people whose shoulders you're standing on. Because if you do, you'll realize that A, we've made a lot of progress. B, it's desperately important that we make more. But C, you don't have to scream at everybody. Make allies. Now, as for science fiction, I have an advice article at davidbrin.com. And if you go to books at davidbrin.com, you can look up my YA series. Uh, one of them is called Out of Time, in which uh, teenagers from across time get yanked forward to a utopia in the future, a, an actual good place portrayed in science fiction. Uh, and another uh, YA series in which um, aliens kidnap a California high school and live to regret it. Uh, but coming out soon next month is my uh, best of, but it's only coming back out in special signed hardcover from Subterranean Press. So if you want, if you want these short stories and it's my best work, you're gonna have to look at the earlier collections. So plug has been made. 
and I love it. Steve, uh, next time I will let you get in more of your own words. No worries. I uh, I loved hearing everything you had to say, David, and I actually do look forward to that next time. So hopefully we can do that. All right. Cheers. And now we're going to take a moment for a short message about our membership for organizations, which you can find by going to su.org and clicking organizations in the menu. Singularity Group was founded upon the belief that the world's biggest problems represent the world's biggest opportunities. Our mission remains unchanged, but our methods have evolved exponentially. Today, we're opening doors around the world as a digital first organization. We invite future thinking companies to join Singularity Group to learn about the breadth of exponential technologies to empower your organization with an abundance mindset and to grow networks that can create solutions to humanity's greatest challenges. With an unprecedented year behind us and many great challenges ahead, leaders across the globe are wrestling with the future, how to embrace change, stay ahead of trends, and build sustainable businesses. We help entrepreneurial leaders better understand how exponential technologies can be applied in their companies to advance their goals for people, planet, profit, and purpose. And it all starts with the mindset, the skill set, and the network. Together, let's discuss how membership can turn you and your leaders into exponential thinkers and prepare for an abundant future for all. Together, we can impact a billion people.